It is very cold in the Netherlands. Winter is not just coming, it's just here. It's, it's cold. It's freezing during the night. And here in my little office where I'm recording my podcast, it's equally cold because I don't have the central heating on. But hopefully I can still warm your heart with a new podcast. I want to welcome a, co- a couple of new members to our Patreon community. Um, we've got Rambling Redshirt, Will Myers, Lauren Heiseny, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Dimos. And these four people have joined this community uh, that helps me to do this work, believes in my mission. And, uh, and is also able to chip in financially. If you are not supporting me yet, and that's the majority of you, lots of you are listening to this podcast every week, and some of you have been listening for years, but only, I think about 5% of my listeners, maybe even less, uh, are, are, um, are supporting my work um, w- through Patreon. So um, I hope that more of you can join that Patreon community for your own good, because it's also it's an amazing community. Um, you get access to the Discord server, which is the place where we hang out every single day. It's so much fun. It's where I pitch my ideas, where I get feedback, where you can ask questions. And just hang out for fun. It's it's a, it's a lovely community. We just started to, uh, a session of D and D with uh, with the, the part of our Discord community, and it's it's something I've always dreamed of and never thought I would live to see the day that I could play D and D with with friends from all over the world. Um, plus, if you become a patron, you get uh, uh, an, an exclusive podcast called Story Secrets, where I dive into. The, the deeper meanings of the stories that you love. Uh, television shows, science fiction, fantasy, Star Wars. I'm, I'm, of course, going to record an in-depth episode about the last three episodes of Star Wars Andor. Tomorrow, I'm recording this on Tuesday. Tomorrow is going to be the season's finale. It's going to be epic. I'm sure they've, they've done wonders with that series. And so I'll do a long... And these, these podcasts are long. They're like... An hour and a half is not an exception. So you, you get a lot of a lot more Father Roderick as a patron than you would get by just subscribing to my regular shows. Not that you're not welcome. I love it that you listen. I, I really appreciate the privilege of your time, as I often say. But uh, but a big thank you to those of you that are able to help out. And, and, and for those of you that are now rushing over to patreon.com slash Father Roderick and signing up for a monthly micro donation also a big thank you to, to tiffany Lewandowski and galareth for upping their tier some of you are you know have a little bit more um uh, financial margin sometimes and or or they heard me talk about a new project that i want to realize and and they want to help out a little bit more i i'm always very very thankful for those of you that are are able to uh, to move from one tier to another let's talk about the news you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world they said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I had such an amazing weekend. And, and you know, we, we live in dark times, literally, because it 
gets dark very early, it's winter, but there's also so much going on in the world. We've got worries about the ongoing war in Ukraine and the impact it has on global economy. We've got these these reports of deadly shootings and, and violence and intolerance. We've got the whole Twitter drama and uh, the, the political worries that, that, that some of us have. Sometimes you just want to step away from all of that drama and just enjoy the friendship of like-minded geeks and that's what I did this weekend when I went to Dutch Comic Con in Utrecht the city where I was in seminary where I was ordained a priest and every year, uh, twice a year, actually, they organize the Dutch version of Comic-Con. Of course, the original Comic-Con from San Diego is, is a lot bigger than this, but still, nevertheless, for a tiny little country like the Netherlands, 47,000 visitors, that's quite big actually and it's, it's turning into one of the bigger conventions in in my country and of course as a geek as a fellow geek i love it that it's growing and it's like this year was even bigger than last year i last wasn't last year but last time i was going to comic-con that was two years ago before before the pandemic and now it was the first comic-con that was that felt like a a regular, old-fashioned, good, big, <laughs> crowded Comic-Con. Lots and lots of cosplayers. And I had a blast going around, doing the rounds with my camera, interviewing people, uh, filming a documentary. Um, and it's, it, it, again, it's always such a joy to, to find, to, to encounter new friends and to meet old friends again. It, it's, it's just amazing what happens. It felt very, very much... Uh, like the, the the week that I spent in in LA in Anaheim for this Star Wars celebration, but here it's even you know it's wider. It's not just Star Wars. It's about all sorts of geekery, and I was able to see a couple of very very cool actors, um, some of which I've 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 always admired since I was a child. Like Lou Ferrigno was there, the original Incredible Hulk on TV. Um, Dan Fogler was here from uh, from The Walking Dead and and Fantastic Beasts, and Jenna Coleman from Doctor Who. And uh, as always, it was also the actor who plays Arrow. Um, great guy. I I've only seen like half of the first season of Arrow, so I'm not very familiar with the Arrowverse. But the guy was just so such a cool nice guy and 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 uh entertaining all of all of these guests were really really good good stories i talk a lot more about comic con and why i went there and what i what kind of conversations i had there um on this week's episode of the walk and for me it was a, another confirmation that that this is my field of where I play this this is this is what I do I'm a priest and I'm a geek and I want to connect to this culture that is also my culture because this is where I can build bridges this is where I can meet people where they are and and the stories that they tell are so close to the stories that have that that feed me the stories of my faith and and having it's just Having that presence there opens all sorts of opportunities to connect uh, with people that otherwise would never come to me as a parish priest. Um, but that's not a problem. I'll just go to them. So if you want to hear more about that, check out my latest episode of The Walk. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. 
You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. This day, November the 22nd, 33 years ago, a tiny, small, insignificant movie hit the theaters all across the world called Back to the Future 2. Marty McFly traveled in the DeLorean time machine all the way to October the 20-something, was it the 25th, of 2015, which back then was still so, was decades away. And that movie, of course, the sequel to the original Back to the Future, and then the prequel to Back to the Future 3, became part of of a very much loved, revered, and, and even missed franchise that has impacted the lives of people of my generation, but continues to be such an iconic trilogy uh, that, that any geek wants to check out. And these movies really hold up well. Maybe not always the language that is used. There's this one moment where, where, where Marty, uh, who travels back in time to the 50s, that like back then was the, the, the age of, or the, the time that most of the parents of my generation grew up, but he still uses the 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 slang, the 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 words, uh, uh, the the common language of of young people in the eighties, and so he meets a, a younger version of Doc Brown, and and he reacts back then. He used to say, "Oh, that's heavy. That that's so heavy." Uh, <laughs> and then Doc is like, "What do you mean? Why, what is heavy? Well, why do you talk about weight?" <laughs> and now when you hear that kind of language of course to us that sounds like something that was that is so much part of the of the vocabulary of young people like from from decades ago so now it's it's antique and our language today is full of words that 33 years ago were just not part of of our vernacular it's not what we what we spoke it's we wouldn't understand it this is this is what happens in the world. Our language, our culture changes. The way we talk, the way we address, the whole pronoun uh, uh, thing that is currently so so important to a lot of people. Um, even even to five years ago, that would be unthinkable that you would talk about someone using the, the plural, you know, like they and them. Um, so this is how language changes with culture, changes with new priorities, new ways of expressing yourself. And... And five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, language will still be completely different. It's always hard to predict what that future will look like. I remember seeing Back to the Future 2 when I was still in seminary. I was 21 years old. Uh, I had entered seminary at the age of 18, and I wasn't in the Netherlands. I was, of course, a student from the Netherlands, but I did my first, the first half of my seminary studies in Belgium. Belgium, in the French part of Belgium, in a city called Louvain-la-Neuve. So, New Louvain. Uh, Leuven, Louvain, was, uh, is, is a medieval uh, university city. One of the oldest universities in the world. Um, very, very good reputation. But, as you know, in Belgium, there are three official languages. There is Dutch, Flemish, um, there's French, and there's German. Not everybody knows that, but German is one of the three official languages that is spoken in that country. And, as you can imagine, these these languages are also linked to social groups. And not all those social groups are equal. There's always been, usually the Flemish part 
was was rich, uh, very influential uh, in in politics. The, the French part is more this the poorer part of the country, or at least traditionally, things have changed over time. So there's there's also a bit of rivalry tension between those language groups, and at one point they decided to split up the University of Louvain in two separate towns. There's the old original town of Louvain, and then they created a French-speaking equivalent of that university in Louvain-la-Neuve. And there was also an international seminary, and that's where I studied philosophy. Well, at the university, and I lived in the seminary. And so I studied there for four years, did my master's in philosophy, did one year of theology in Brussels at the uh, uh, institute that was uh, um, organized by the Jesuits, and then I came back to the Netherlands. So I was 21 years old. I had seen the original Back to the Future, I think, when I was still in high school. Probably. I don't, I don't recall exactly when that came out. But this, the sequel, and I was a huge fan of the first movie. I loved it. Uh, it was just one of my favorite movies. I remember after seeing that, I was like, this is, this is, this is just as impactful as Star Wars was. This is just one of those rare movie franchises that comes along where you know you're going to love this movie for the rest of your life. And so when Back to the Future 2 came out, I was desperate to see it. But I was in seminary. We didn't have... A, well, there was a movie theater in the university city, but they had usually these art house movies. It was a bit highbrow. They didn't have the big, big blockbusters. And so in order to see a, a, a Hollywood movie, we had to go to a small town. It was almost like a village. And I happened to also do my my driving license, where my driving lessons there. Um, and so I, I drove there with another student and uh, there was a small theater. It was really, really small, maybe maybe a hundred people max that could fit into that. Uh, they had just one, one room, was almost a room uh, where they would project the movies. And, but they did have Back to the Future. It was in December. So the movie uh, in, in the US premiered on November the 22nd and it, it took about a month. This was actually quite fast. Normally you would sometimes have to wait several months before a movie would, uh, would be shown in Europe. But this movie premiered in Belgium in December. It was right around, well, right before Christmas time, probably. Um, and so, and it was dubbed in French, which was very common in, in, in a number of countries in Europe. So in Germany, they dub everything. In France, they dub everything. In Italy, they dub everything. In Spain, they do the same. Uh, Portugal, uh, also. In Poland... It's even it's it's even different at the time. Now things have changed. They dub the movies, and sometimes they use subtitles or captions. But um, for a long time in Poland, they would narrate the movie, so they wouldn't have the budget to dub it. But there would just be this one guy who would describe the action and translate the conversations on the spot. So you would have this conversation between Marty McFly and then um, and Doc Brown, and and then you would just hear this voice in in Polish say. Um, Doc Brown tells Marty McFly that he needs a gazillion gigawatts to power the time machine, to which then uh, Marty McFly says, um, this is heavy. Doc Brown replies, what do you mean heavy? Why do you talk about weight? And it would just be this kind of droning voice. It's one guy just just translating on the spot. Um, 
So, I saw that second movie, the second part of Back to the Future, entirely in French. Not no subtitles. And I was I had been studying in in uh, in in French for two years. At about two and a half years, um, I had learned French in school in high school. But it's similar to if you live in the U.S., you may have had some Spanish, right? So learning Sp- another language in school, you can read it. You can kind of understand it. You can say a few things, but you cannot really have a regular conversation, let alone talk about time travel. And so imagine me. I'm sitting there in the theater, and this, the movie starts with, with the you know doc brown and 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 that this was still before the age of everybody having vhs recorders and so uh, i had the last time i saw that movie was years before so i didn't really even realize that they had replaced the actress who plays uh, marty mcfly's girlfriend it was a totally different actress i had no recollection of who played her in the first movie Uh, they recreated uh, the, the scenes at the end of Back to the Future 1 for the beginning of Back to the Future 2. And, of course, you know what happens. Like, uh, Doc Brown arrives with the kind of souped-up De- DeLorean that now can fly and and runs on on banana peels <laughs> with a few, Mr. Fusion. And and then, ultimately, of course, uh, they, they fly to the future, which at the time, 2015, oh, my gosh, that was like, I cannot imagine what the world will look like 2015. It's like... <laughs> it was an eternity away, um, because of course uh, Marty's children were in 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 trouble, and then Biff also flies to the to the future, steals the almanac, the sports almanac, and then uh, takes over the world and creates a separate timeline. This was one of those first movies that I have seen where you would have that alternate timeline idea that is currently so overused in movies where you have the multiverse, right? Marvel is all about the multiverse right now. And it's basically all this this myriad of timelines that exist parallel to one another, separate but also parallel and similar. But every time someone takes a decision one way or another, that creates a, a fork in the road, basically. And so... At one point in Back to the Future 2, you've got that explanation of what is truly going on and Doc like draws it out on a blackboard to explain it to Marty and, of course, also to us and then says, well, we have to somehow go back in time because this timeline where Biff has taken over, uh, our, the, the, what is it, Hill, Hill, um, Hill, Hill Valley, uh, this is the wrong future. We need to somehow go back and prevent him from getting the almanac and then restore the reality. Not really taking into account that the reality that Marty McFly returns to when he has visited his parents and, and, and had them connect with one another in the 50s is already an alternate timeline. He doesn't return to his own timeline. He returns to an alternate future that he himself helped to create. Now, all those explanations went straight over my head because, of course, it was in French. It was dubbed. And this was only my third year in, in, in French. Over time, of course, I've learned French pretty well and became almost like a second native language. That's the advantage that I, 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 I kind of made the switch. Like one day I was still speaking Dutch in school and then I went to seminary and for five years... I've only spoken French. And the, the only few times that I spoke Dutch was when I returned home or when I had, you know, family or friends on the phone. 
but that was very rare. So after five years, I could just like switch back and forth between Dutch and French without even having to think about it. This was not the case uh, 33 years ago. And then because French needs more words than English, they also spoke very fast. And so you would see Marty McFly's mouth move and say a few, utter a few words in American English. And then in French, it was this whole lot of words that had to fit in that same, in these few seconds, you know. It's like, mais, mais de Brown, c'est impossible que nous retournions vers le passé parce que le, le, la machine temporelle eh ben, ne fonctionne plus et nous avons besoin de, de 4000 gigawatts pour retourner à Île Valley. What are they saying? I remember like half of the movie. I was like, my head hurt at the end. It's like, like oh, it's so straining to, to listen to this. Even nowadays, when I watch uh, movies uh, in, in other languages, mostly English on Netflix or whatever, I very often will turn on the subtitles or the captions because it's more relaxing to be able to read and, and listen at the same time. And I will, I will turn on the English captions, not the Dutch captions. Although I'm, we're very used, we never dub movies in the Netherlands, just children's movies. Uh, so Disney will have dubbed versions, but most of the movies are subtitled. Everything on TV is, is subtitled. So you kind of, it becomes second nature. I don't even realize that I'm reading subtitles. If you're not used to that, if you're in a country where, where everything you watch is in your native language, like in English, if you're an American or someone from the UK or Ireland or Scotland or whatever, um, or, or when you're always used, like in Germany, you're used to always watching dubbed versions it's very hard to read subtitles because you think, but, but I have to read. How can I see what's going on in the movie? Well, the opposite is also very hard when you're trying to grasp what is going on with all this time travel and and there are no subtitles and you have, you have to play it by ear and everybody's talking so fast. I had the same experience in Italy many years later when I was watching some of those movies in Italian, like Harry Potter in Italian. Oh my gosh. Oh, tanto difficile di parlare sulla magia in un'altra lingua. And plus, what they also did with Harry Potter is they translated, they did like Italianized versions of all, like Hogwarts is not called Hogwarts in Italian. It's a different name. All these professors have different names. I was like, what is happening? I don't recognize anything in this language. Now, I've always been... Uh, fascinated by Back to the Future because, and especially by the second movie, because it showed us a possible future. Like when you have to think about how will the world, what will the world look like 33 years from now? Or, well, in this case, it was 2015, which for now, for us, is now seven years ago. Do you realize that? Like the future that Marty McFly goes to that seemed so far away when you first watched Back to the Future is now already like ancient past. There are kids now on TikTok that weren't even born yet in 2015. I, it's so funny. So you're like, okay, flying cars, sure. Like that's a no-brainer when you think about the future, the Jetsons, like all these movies. <laughs> Same thing with, with uh, Blade Runner. That is also taking place in a future that for us now is the past and you've got flying cars. It's 
Coruscant on steroids. Um, none of that has materialized. Flying, like, hover hoverboards. I, I still am surprised that skateboarding is a thing because in the 80s, skateboarding was massive, you know. Think Tony Hawk and all that sort of stuff. But skateboarding is still popular. I did not predict that. I was like, okay, come on, skateboarding. That's such a... It's popular now, but kids in the future, they won't they won't use skateboards. But anyway, so and and I was wrong about that. 3D movies, like you see the the whole like Jaws, what is it, Jaws 23, and they've got that holographic projection of a shark uh as a as a as an um an advertisement. Um and Marty McFly is like really scared. Well, 3D movies at the time, that was just like you would have to wear the, the red and green glasses. 3D was not a thing. So imagining a future where 3D movies would be the only way to watch movies, it sounded so super futuristic. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I hope that that will one day, I will even watch Jaws 23 if I can watch it in 3D. Please, pretty please let that become a reality. And it became a reality. We got 3D TVs, we have 3D movies, and then it went away again. Like I still have my original 3D TV. It's in the other room, in the not in the in the studio, I put it in the studio, and I still have my PlayStation Three that I hold on to because it can play 3D movies. And I still have the it's the LG version of 3D, so it was passive glasses, so it still works. But nobody sells these TVs anymore, and and you can't get those 3D movies on on D, on Blu-ray anymore. So I bought up all the 3D Blu-rays that I could find, knowing that this technology was going away. Now, maybe, maybe it, there will be a resurgence now that um, that VR and AR is making a comeback. Apple uh, is, of course, developing their AR system, which is going to be launched hopefully next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if that can breath, breathe new life into 3D movies. If, if, they, if Apple TV can you know, distribute 3D movies to these, whatever they are called, Apple glasses, um, count me in. I will subscribe to any service that gives me 3D movies because it's just so awesome. I love 3D in the cinema, even though it's just, of course, mostly done to extort more money from you, that and and popcorn. Um, but I don't care. I love 3D. I love the immersion. So that, that was one of the things that I was super excited about when it uh, when it actually materialized. It's like, okay, so the only thing that I still want is flying cars. We never got those. Um, but there is something else that was so magical and is still so magical about Back to the Future. Why is why do these three movies still appeal not just to old guys like me? It's not just nostalgia. There's also something that I love about these movies, and it has to do with. Um, the whole premise of the story where your decisions can literally make or break the future. Who is Marty McFly? He's, he's considered a, a loser, you know? He's just this kid and his parents are, you know, not ideal and everything. But the the, the, it's a fairy tale that tells you that you can change the future, if you stand up against bullies, if you are courageous, and Marty McFly is a 
beautiful hero's journey of someone's a very insecure kid and he gets challenged and Ooh, you call me chicken and then he gets beat up by Biff and despite all the odds, he manages to create a new future for, his, for himself, for his parents for, and for his progenity. And there is something... I think there, there, it has all these questions that you ask yourself from time to time. You know, what would my life would look like had I married that girl? Had I done t- taken this job instead of this job? If I had never discovered podcasting, what I, what would I've been doing now? If if Star Wars would have never been made, what other franchise would I be a fan of? Uh, stuff like that. Um, but also when it comes to your own future, when you think about where will I be 30 years from now? That's that's a scary question. Like 30 years from now, if I am still alive, I'll be 84 years old. When I saw Back to the Future 2 in theaters, that is a longer amount, that's a, that's a, that's a longer time ago than I will have years ahead of me. It's so, it's it's frightening, you know. So so that also gives weight to what I do today. The decisions I make are going to determine what my future will be thirty years from now, just like it is for Marty McFly. And well, I don't even know if I'm going to live to see the day. I hope, of course, and I try. But that, for instance, it means I want to live a healthy life. I want to make sure I can deal with stress that I focus on what is really important because I have no time to waste. You know, 33 years. To me, I still remember 33 years ago when I saw that movie in theaters as if it was just a few years ago. It's 33 years ago. The next couple... I don't care that much about flying cars, you know. And yes, I love how much technology is is advancing and I'm, I'm excited to be part of this these golden years of filmmaking and and to also to be a part of that television industry. I love the creative aspects of that, but I also realize that that's not ultimately that important. I want my life to to contribute something to the lives of others. I want to make sure that in 33 years, I can look back on my life and, and think, hey, I made the right decisions. I don't have to go back to the past to fix the future because the future is what I hoped it would be because I did the right thing. It doesn't mean that it's all going to be ideal, you know, when you're 84 years old, three, 33 years from now, or 30 years from now. Let's, let's not exaggerate. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you get older, you, you get, you get all sorts of uh, inconveniences, but you know, that's just part of life. But what I hope is that I can be happy about about the the future that I created based on what I do today, if that makes any sense. It always gets complicated when you think about time travel, doesn't it? <laughs> Catholics rock! And it's time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is the place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you are afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? 
And as a Catholic, we're he- I'm heading into a brand new year. This upcoming Sunday marks the beginning of Advent, which is the beginning of a new liturgical year. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. So I'd like to share with you a little bit about Advent and just a refresher of what it is about and why it's important. Um, it is similar to... You could say to Lent, uh, the Catholic Church and tradition has two big major times of preparation. If you count Pentecost in a certain way, even the Easter season, Easter time, 50 days is also a time of preparation. But it's it's less, it, that is also more a continuation of the joy of Easter um, and less kind of this this more uh, meditative a time of preparation and penance uh, that is associated with Advent uh, to a lesser extent and definitely with uh, the time of Lent. So what is Advent all about? It's four Sundays, not exactly four weeks, but definitely four Sundays before the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas on the 25th of December. And because the 25th of December is a fixed date, it doesn't change. Um, that can be a Sunday, can be a Wednesday, can be a Tuesday. That is why Advent is a, a variable when it comes to the to total duration. Sometimes you would have the fourth Sunday of Advent, and then the next day it's Christmas or the 24th. Sometimes it's a bit disconcerting. And you, it's almost like, oh, it's barely three and a half weeks. But um, the, 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 the whole idea is that you take some time to prepare for a big celebration and that um, a celebration has more impact if you actually prepare for it instead of just like, oh, and now it's Christmas. Um, this is why Advent um, is, is a time of longing. It's, it's, it's not meant to be like a pre- like a, you, you, you use Advent to celebrate Christmas for four weeks, which is kind of what the world does nowadays. We, we tend to, it's like Black, Black Friday, right? That was usually the day after Thanksgiving in the United States. Uh, if you're listening to this, by the way, after Thanksgiving, uh, happy Thanksgiving. But Black Friday used to be this one day after Thanksgiving where a lot of stores would have massive sales it's called Black Friday, right? So it's one day. Now, in the Netherlands, they're calling this Black Friday week because we don't have uh, Thanksgiving. So now this week, starting, sometimes it's even started for some shops last week, it's like the weeks of Black Friday. This is so typical. We do that with Christmas as well. And, and, And Advent just gobbles up no pun intended for the turkeys uh, that are listening to this podcast, but they, <laughs> Christmas has gobbled up Advent and has robbed it from its meaning because Advent is all about this looking forward to Christmas uh, and, and, and anticipating it by focusing on what, what is Christmas about. It's about we're seeking the light. So we, we acknowledge the darkness inside of us. We try to make steps in our faith to eradicate the darkness and embrace the light so that we are once we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're fully open for his uh, coming in our lives. So this is, this is uh, super important, um, I think, to for at least for Christians, to 
hold on to that tradition. This is why Advent calendars have a special place in my heart. Uh, I, I had my first Advent calendar as a child because it was gifted to us by, I think, one of our aunts. And it, um, it was my, my um, how do you say that? So my mother's sister is my, um, uh, my godmother, right? That's how you call it. Um, and so she sent us an advent calendar from the United States. And it, I remember when we opened it, it came in through the mail. And of course, for us, that was magical. Like the, she lives in, in San Francisco. This is just this faraway country that we only know from, from the, the, the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, <laughs> it's this land where of possibilities. It was, yeah, I, I grew up with a highly romanticized idea of the United States. And so we got this big calendar and it was bright and colorful and it had little windows but more interesting behind each window that was numbered there was a chocolate oh it was just magical every day we would open one of those little doors and we would eat chocolate and then we knew that the 25th number 25 was like twice no four times as big as all the other doors so we knew and there would be a huge chunk of chocolate behind those doors. And that, but what it did was it really helped to get into that countdown mode. Like, oh, it's almost Christmas, it's almost Christmas. And that, that big piece of chocolate, which turned out to be the Holy Family in chocolate. So I actually ate Mary, Joseph, and little baby Jesus on the day of Christmas. It's a bit weird, but hey, as a child, you don't ask questions when chocolate is involved. But there was this anticipation, and it made that whole time of Advent very, very special. Um, in liturgy, also, we do we we have a number of rituals that that mark that same countdown. We have the Advent wreath, uh, wreath where you have four candles, and so every Sunday we light an, an, another candle in addition to the ones that are already burning. Um, we're invited to spend more time in prayer, to do, give some money to the poor, uh, to go to confession, to, you know, all these moments of penance. Um, what we're not asked to do is to, like, live as if we are already celebrating Christmas for four weeks. Um, although I have to say that it's all, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's there to help us, right? So it's it's not... It's not forbidden to already put up the Christmas tree. In fact, last year, I think I actually um, put up the Christmas tree right on the first day of Advent. And then every week I would add some stuff. I would add the lights and then I would add the the um, the, the, the other decorations. Um, and I, I listen to Christmas music because, eh, I don't know, it's just a wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time of the year, as a great poet once said whatever so advent it's it's all about uh, the advent of christ of course and in in uh, in our times where that aspect of christmas and advent is so often forgotten i think it's important for us at least to maintain these traditions you don't have to proselytize and and condemn other ways in which people are celebrating this season but hold on to your own traditions. Try to mark it in one way or another, even if it's just by having a, an Advent calendar. 
All right, that's what I wanted to share with you. Let me know in the comments or on Discord how you mark the time of Advent. If you have any like particular traditions or family traditions, or maybe in your country there are some specific uh, uh, things that you do during the time of Advent. Um, maybe I'll talk about it in the next episode as well. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I read a, a couple of books this past week. Um, one of which I, I read it in one day. Uh, yesterday, actually. <laughs> I, I took a day off after going to Comic-Con. I was so tired. So I spent most of the day behind a computer in Valheim um, building my new big farm. So I... I was. Uh, I, I love to watch the the YouTube video channels that are uh, showing you what you can build in Valheim, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to copy that. I love that. So I built a, a huge building uh, in in the little village that we uh, that we created with uh, a couple of uh, Discord members. And the thing is, I miscalculated, and and so I realized after already building for about a day that I was actually building the whole thing in. In, uh, in a mirrored version. So what was left in the video is now right in my version of the house. So th I had to, that was sometimes a bit of a mind warp to duplicate something, but do it in reverse, do it in, in, in a mirrored version. It was very confusing. But last, this last Monday, I, I was just building and, and then listening to this, the audiobook version of a book that is super popular. Um, it's been um, uh, in, the, in the top 10 list of uh, many bookstores. Uh, and I, even when I went to, uh, uh, to Comic-Con, uh, uh, certain book, uh, booksellers had piles of this book. It's called um, uh, I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it's written by Jeanette McCurdy, who I, it's a name I didn't recognize, uh, but apparently she is a Nickelodeon uh, star, which was a child actor. Is very uh, she had a very popular show on Nickelodeon that a lot of uh, young people grew up with. In this book with the strange title, I'm Glad My Mom Died, which is something like, why would you write a book about that with that title? Um, she tells the harrowing story of how she grew up and how her mother um, uh, managed every single dimension of her existence. Um, the fact that she even got into acting as a child was because she was being pushed by her mother. And um, the, the sleeve, the dis description of the book on the sleeve, talks about her overbearing mother, which is an understatement uh, is it, not doing justice to the actual situation. She had a horrible, horrible, narcissistic, abusive mother that when she was 11 years old, even forced her or talked her into extreme calorie restriction that ultimately resulted in her uh, suffering from, um, from an eating disorder. Um, and that was only one of her disorders that she got because of uh, uh, the world that she grew up in and the ab abuse by her mother and and also the ab abusive uh, television industry that she that she was thrown into that treated child actors as as tools to make money instead of you know fragile human beings that they are 
uh, that need to be protected, that need to be uh, uh, especially shielded against uh, all the nefarious, uh, the, the dangerous aspect of that, of, of fame at a young age and the pressures of being a child star. And um, it's, it's a difficult read. It's very well written. It's very engaging. It's a page turner. I couldn't stop listening to the audiobook. The the actress herself, she's a former actress. She she doesn't do acting anymore. She stepped away from it because of her mental health, uh, or to benefit her mental health. Um, she's a very good writer, very good storyteller. I was super impressed. Um, but it's the book is brutally honest. Sometimes goes into graphic detail. There are a number of. Uh, sexual encounters that she has that she describes in, for me, way too much detail. But it's it's also kind of part of what the of the process I think that the book is for for the for the author, where it's like basically like I'm going to tell you as it is, as ugly as it is, as um, harrowing as it as it was. But she also she's writing this book from a place of healing she is she has gone in therapy she is working on on healing from from everything that she went through and she's writing the book because she knows that she's not the only victim of this world of mothers like that she's writing this for current victims of the same disorders that she suffered from to give them hope to tell them that there is a way out that you can you can pick yourself up well that's actually what the book doesn't say. The book says, you need help. You can't do this alone. And she shows the way by telling, brutally honest, what, what she went through. Um, it's, for me, it was a particularly difficult read because it did hit home quite a few times. It got very close to experiences that I've had myself. Um, it also confronted me with the horrors of, again, it's not the first time, it's not the first book, not the first story that does this, with the horrors of child abuse, of, of abuse of power, of using people and loving things instead of doing what we're called to do, and that is to love people and use things. If you start to use people as if they are tools, disregarding their dignity, their humanity, their fragility then the horrors are are uh, are un, un, unimaginable. Uh, this was a difficult read, and at the same time, I'm so glad I read the book. And I can hardly recommend it to most people, with, of course, the warnings that I gave you before. It's very graphic it's in some places, so that may be a bit too, too much for some of you. Um, but what I hope is that this book can help the readers. I hope it's going to be a success because it shows you the mechanisms of this industry. It also shows you the dangers and the damage that that narcissistic people can do, and um, and it shows. It's a story of a a young woman that most people only know from the glamorous side of things, without realizing that the person that plays these roles is suffering, is going through so much without anyone noticing, without anyone helping. And it's only, I would say, grace that she was able to climb her way out of that. Let's not 
forget to mention also the negative role that religion plays in this. She was a member of the, I think of the Mormon church, which has also, was was also weaponized by her mother at, at a young age, was, uh, was also playing tricks on her mind where she confused the Holy Spirit with basically mental disorder. And she was thinking that she was doing what God asked her to do, but in in fact, in reality, she was suffering from a mental breakdown. So that's a, that's also an important thing uh, to to talk about. Religion can also manipulate people; can be used not for what it is actually meant to do, and that is to heal and to help people and to to protect. But in in the wrong hands, religion can be a horrible weapon to destroy people, to destroy their dignity, to rob them from their freedom. And it's good that we tell these stories as a warning for for all of us who who have a responsibility uh, and, and are called to lead in in religious organizations um, and basically any organization where power is involved. With great power comes great responsibility. This is so much more important than just in Spider Man's uh, <laughs> origin story. Something that we need to tell ourselves each and every day. With great power comes great responsibility. And there should always be accountability. Whether you're a parent or a priest or a politician or anyone with responsibility. Always look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? Am I using this position or the power that I have or the money that I have, the influence that I have, do I use it to to help people grow, to protect those that are vulnerable and maybe even sick? And Or am I using it for my own goals, for my own benefit? And am I really respecting the humanity, the dignity of the people that I work with and that have been entrusted to us? Whenever I go to a convention, whether it is Star Wars Celebration or Comic-Con, I'm always hungry. It's because on days like that, you walk a ton. I'm to like, it's vast. Like 10,000 steps is nothing on a convention day. And so it's important to make sure you eat well. The thing is, I never do when I go to conventions like that. It's also because when I have a camera and I'm hunting for interviews, I forget to take care of myself. I forget to eat, I forget to drink. I just run around like crazy. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I'm starving, why didn't I eat? So this weekend, I tried to be a good boy and I made myself some extra sandwiches that I brought along with me, knowing that if I would be on the convention floor, there would only be fast food, which was actually the case. They only sold like French fries, mayonnaise, uh, like fried stuff. Good, tasty, but super unhealthy. And so in order to not be led into temptation, you see, I do listen to Jesus from time to time. I made myself sandwiches. Uh, one was with... so. If I had had time, I would have made an omelette because uh, omelette is is protein, and that usually fills you up quite well. I can I can I can run 
a couple of hours on on a sandwich with an omelet. But I didn't have time that morning because I had to be there very early. And then Sunday, I had to be up early for mass. And then I had to go to Utrecht. So not much time there. Instead, I, uh, I used um, uh, peanut butter as a protein source. But you know what? Peanut butter alone on a sandwich, especially if it's kind of stale and it's been in a box for a couple of hours... It's, yeah, it's it's not very nice. It, it's a bit dry. So I always try to combine it with something. Of course, classic combination is peanut butter jelly. But peanut butter jelly always is, gets very messy. And since I'm working with cameras and stuff, I don't want my fingers covered in, in, in peanut butter jelly. And then I am not able to wash my hands because there are like huge rows in for the bathroom. And so I was like, okay. We're not going to do peanut butter and jelly. What else can I combine with peanut butter? Hmm, chocolate paste or hazelnut paste. I love that combination, by the way. It's like a, a, a peanut, what is the Reese, Reese's peanut peanut butter something? that The stuff that people in North America like to eat. Uh, peanut butter something. Reese, that's the only brand name that I know. And I think it is it is um, the staple thing for, for, for Halloween um uh, uh, collections <laughs> um but same problem but hazelnut paste like chocolate paste it's all very sticky and i was like well wait a minute what if i go the other way what if i do cucumber slices so i put peanut butter on one side of the um, sandwich and, and then i i put um cucumber slices on top of that um and then a bit of salt that's it. Perfect combination. It's such a great combination because you've got that freshness. And also, because it was cold, also at the convention floor, um, the, the, the cucumbers is still very fresh and moist, but it's not sticky. It's just water, basically. Uh, and, and, uh, but the combination with peanut butter is hearty and yummy. I was like, wow, I love this. Um, so that was my lunch on the first day. The second day... I didn't even have time to prepare my lunch because because of mass. And so uh, I I just stepped on the train and I had no food with me. So on the central station in Utrecht, I got myself something that I ate a lot when I was a student. But I haven't since then never really bothered to eat it. And it's this one um, kind of general, general utensil store called Hema, H-E-M-A. And they sell just stuff that you use from day to day like towels or cups or uh pens uh i got my journals there you know the the the, the, the my bullet journals they sell that sort of stuff uh clothes they have a you know stuff like that but they're also very well known in the netherlands because they they ha- they have a smoked sausage that they sell it has nothing to do with the rest of what they sell but the smoked sausage of the hema is famous and what you do is you you order like it's either like half a sausage and it's very tasty it's just a lot of herbs in there and it's a um it's cheap it's just two bucks usually um you get mustard on top of it it's piping hot which in the winter it's so I'm, i'm i'm getting hungry even thinking about it and then there is like an upgraded version where they put it in a bun so it's basically like a hot dog but instead of it kind of looks like a hot dog, but it's like twice the size. It's very th- like a big, th- like these these 
um, smoked sausages are in the in are U shaped, and you get half of that plus mustard plus a bun. I ate that, and I I was able to to survive for the rest of the day without eating anything, which was a good thing because on my way back, I. Um, I made a mistake. It was dark outside. It was raining. It was super cold. I was in the train and heading back to Ede Wageningen, which is uh, the, like the, the 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 train station where I need to, needed to get off. But because it was raining, it was dark outside. I couldn't see where I was. And then at one point, the the conductor of the train says, um, uh, "Station Ede Wageningen," and of course, you believe what they tell you, right? So I get off the train, I look around, and I don't recognize the station. In the meantime, the train drives away, rides away, and I realize, with some other people, that I got off on the wrong station. There was not, there was still one more stop before I had to get off. So because of that, that mistake that the conductor of the train made, I was standing there. It was like four degrees Celsius. It was raining. It was cold. There's nothing. That station is in the middle of nowhere. And I had to wait half an hour in the rain for the next train to arrive. And it was already like half past 8 p.m. I was starving. <laughs> I'd walked around all day. And when I got home, I still had to cook dinner. But, oh, my gosh, the reward when you finally get to eat. I think I made myself a pasta. Uh, and, and you're sitting there. I, I, I always, like, eat at the table downstairs and I, I i i watch tiktok on my ipad or i i'm just chatting i think i was chatting i think with the discords uh, people on discord uh and they were in valheim and i was just having dinner at nine o'clock p.m but man did it taste good like pasta i love pasta but when you're hungry it's even better what kind of food do you eat when you do go to a convention? Do you have any tips? Do you bring along food yourself? What about water or, or other drinks? I, I need to learn some survival skills because this will not be the last time I go to a big convention like that. And I, I need to take better care of myself. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Oh, all these big companies and these big social media platforms, sometimes it does seem to end in disaster. There's definitely been some new developments around Twitter. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new. new. Uh, Elon Musk has been causing a lot of chaos and uncertainty. And uh, last week, there was, for the first time, uh, since he uh, took over Twitter, there was this mass like migration to other platforms. Some people are, or a lot of people actually are going to Mastodon. I think since uh, last week, more than a million and a half people have migrated to Mastodon, which is not exactly like Twitter, but it is kind of similar. Um, other people went back to Instagram, which I don't think is an improvement because you're still 
completely sub, sub, subjected to an algorithm that you cannot control. And so it's very hard to, it's a familiar platform, but it's not the best platform to keep in touch with people. Um, there are also some other like burgeoning new social media platforms that people flock to. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Of course, I don't think that Twitter will collapse completely, but there's definitely a shift in tone, in mentality, and um, already the things that I disliked about Twitter, the attacks, the, the kind of like very harsh behavior of people, um, only seem to, to have gotten worse over the last few weeks. And it's just not a place where I feel at ease anymore and where I feel safe. Uh, this is my major reason that I went over to Mastodon, and I have to say I'm really liking it there. Um, I don't have had that much time to to kind of uh, sort things out and start to follow interesting people. I still need to wa- I want to grow my, my the community of people that I follow and interact with. Um but at least I'm I'm glad that it works and people are able to find me there and uh, and, and and you know people do and they do interact and it's it's the whole atmosphere there is is very different even though there's this huge influx of new people but I like that um, it's all about the conversation it's not about the numbers you're not trying to game the algorithm to get more exposure. Uh, there are no advertisements, but it's all about f- trying to find. It's, it's much more geared towards discovery you try to use hashtags to find people that uh, have similar interests and every once in a while you come across people that you really like because of what they post and they they contribute to the conversation and sometimes you follow people and then after a few days you're like oh well maybe not and you just unfollow them it's not really about that it's about finding your niche finding the group of people that you feel comfortable with and Yes, of course, there are bad actors there too, but it's easier to get rid of them because they cannot hunt you down. That's the big issue with Twitter. People can look just for text strings and then out of nowhere start to attack you. This happened even this past weekend when someone started attacking me because as a priest I was um, offending God because on Sunday I was engaging in pagan activities, etc., etc., and I was like, I don't even know who this is. I don't want this kind of feedback. I don't, I don't, this, this is why I am no longer using Twitter. I don't want this. And for me, that was kind of like the last straw. I blocked that person. And I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep my handle there because I don't want any bad actor to take over my Father Roderick handle. I'm not going to post there anymore. This is not a good place. And the people that I actually feel comfortable conversing with, they're not on Twitter. Well, they may be on Twitter, but I have my meaningful interactions with with YouTube, with with the people on TikTok, with when I do a live stream, with people on Discord, with the chat room. That's where I talk with my with my with my friends, not on Twitter. At least I've never done that for the past year, so why would I stay there if I only expose myself to more verbal abuse and attacks of people that I don't know and they clearly don't know me, judging from why they attack me and how. So anyway, it's going to be an interesting... Uh, an interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how, how these things are shifting right now, and I'm sure that ultimately uh, it will balance itself out again, but... Uh, yeah, nothing lasts forever on the internet. <laughs> and sometimes people will just migrate if they don't like 
a certain platform anymore of uh, th- there is, we have a choice we we can go elsewhere and uh, and and people are creative they want i th- i think ultimately we are not made for all this all these culture wars and all the the the, the intolerance in a way that we 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 try to poke each other and uh, and, and and get in all this negativity um that may be fun for some people for a while, and they may even think that they, they that it's important to engage in all these wars. But ultimately, we're, we're made for peace and friendship. That's, I think, what what <laughs> that's how we are wired. You, you cannot, at least I cannot. Let let me speak for myself. But I cannot thrive in a in an environment where I'm constantly attacked or where there's always this latent danger that out of the blue people will all of a sudden show up sometimes with hundreds uh, at the same time attacking you and 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 um putting your head on 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 a spike you know like look at this guy and what he's saying isn't he horrible and then everybody's yeah he's horrible <laughs> who wants that i don't want that <laughs> anyway um, in other news, uh, voice assistants may be in trouble. Have you read that news? Like Amazon is losing millions, tens of millions of dollars on Alexa. I hope I didn't activate your devices right now. But it's a, it's a huge loss for Amazon. They thought, and this was a bit just... Bezos' pet project that if they would continue to develop these devices, everybody would have an Alexa device in their home and maybe even multiple ones, that they would use those devices to order stuff from Amazon. I always found that a little bit weird. This is the major reason, even though I think that Alexa is superior to what Google is doing with with their system, um, I just didn't feel comfortable with having all my voice assistants from a company that ultimately makes its money by selling stuff. Now, Google is also selling stuff, let's be honest. Um, Apple is more, slightly more, I don't know, is not as big in this field as um, Amazon and and Google, but but still, they too, they just want to sell their hardware. So, yeah, there's always a catch. But... I still felt that that Google was more universal, more I don't know, linked to other services that I use, and and that's not ideal. I hope in the future that there will be something like what Mastodon currently does for social communications. We need something like that to replace all these, you know, Google or Amazon or all these big entities that. I am not always very comfortable with because you don't know what they do with your data. Thankfully, in here in Europe, we have very stringent legislation, but still, it's never a guarantee. Um, anyway, turns out that also for Google, this is a, a, a business where they lose money and they're scaling it back. They're firing lots and lots of people, which is also a bit sad because I, I still believe in this technology and I couldn't... I can't imagine not having smart devices in my house. I use them all the time, from morning till evening. Um, it's so much more convenient to just ask for the latest news or uh, ask my, my TV to play a certain video than sitting behind a computer and typing it in. Even on a, my mobile device, I don't like typing. I like to just say what I need. And then having my smart devices react as if I was on the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise. Um but 
since these two big companies were betting heavily on on these smart devices in order to they would sell the devices at a loss oftentimes because they thought it would generate business now that that business is not working for them it's not generating extra money or um they may actually start to scale back and you will see that the whole progress that they've made over the years is is going to get stuck so maybe this is where apple actually is able to to go beyond what google and amazon is going to do because apple has a different business model they make money on the devices they make money on the services so apple has a vested interest in getting people on board improving their system especially now that the big competition the two big companies that are formed the competition competition for apple are losing money losing a ton of money on their smart devices apple has is not really good at losing money in general they they know how to get you to suck you into the apple sphere and once you're in it all works and they make money on you they they don't sell stuff at a loss they always make money on you so i'm thinking if apple improves continues to improve siri and they bring that technology and they are going to do that to their AR solution, the glasses. Maybe Apple will be the dominant player in the future. I never thought that that would happen because I'm not a fan of Siri. I still don't think it works. It's like nine out of ten times Siri replies like, oh, here are some websites. Look it up for yourself. It's basically telling me, talk to the hand. I am not going to help you. Whereas Google and Alexa usually are are much more helpful. But maybe it's just because these companies were pouring a lot of money in it and that may come to an end. So who knows? Maybe Apple is the new big player when it comes to smart devices. You know what? I need to take my DeLorean and travel a couple of years into the future. And I'll come back and next week I'll tell you if Twitter is still around. Or maybe it has been taken over by Biff. <laughs> Biff Musk. It's a cousin of uh, Elon. I mean, Elon got bored with Twitter and all the drama, so he stepped away, and then Biff <laughs> is now running the company. I don't know if that's going to be an improvement. And maybe Apple will be all over the place with their smart devices, which they already are with their phones and watches. But I think they're a small player when it comes to their Apple pods and stuff. Oh, well. Time will tell. Here's my inspirational inspirational quote of the of the week. This is from the book that I reviewed earlier on in the show. I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. This is a quote from her recovery process, where often, of course, especially with the bulimia that she suffered from and anorexia, very very hard to make real progress. And oftentimes you will slip. And this is what she says: slips are totally normal. When you have a slip, it's just that. It's a slip. It doesn't define you. It doesn't make you a failure. But the most important thing is that you don't let that slip become a slide. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, and God bless.